Just had that slight moment of panic. I wasn't finding my sermon notes. It's going to be a short sermon today. And being that it's already almost 20 to 11, you may hope for that. Open God's words to the book of Acts, chapter 18, if you would. We took, uh, well, we had Dwayne speak last week on Mother's Day and uh, give a more, give us more information about the mission, where they're headed. Uh, this will be their last Sunday with us, and uh, they're going to be heading to Kosovo, I believe, on the 13th of June. I got that date right. So um, that's not why we had to linger longer today, but it works out well. Give you all a chance to, to uh, let them know that you're going to be praying for them, greet them, and uh, we look forward to hearing back from what God's doing in your guys' life as your your as as Jane mentioned last week, uh, uh, we had mentioned the week before Aquila and Priscilla uh, to to Paraclete to come alongside and to help out, uh, and, and it it takes. Um, not, I don't want to rob them of any blessing or anything, but it takes humble people to be able to do that. To that, that it's the ministry, you're not the focal point of it, you're not the lead or the head of it, but you're there to come alongside and to make sure that it keeps going. And, and so remember to be praying for, for Duane and Jane as they, they head to Kosovo. For, and that's just the start. Who knows where the Lord's going to take them after that, but a, a two and a half months over there to uh, fill in some, for some missionaries that need a break. But two weeks ago, the beginning of chapter 18, uh, we find that, that uh, Paul leaves Athens, heads over to Corinth, uh, and that's where he hooked up with uh, Aquila and Priscilla. They were tent makers. They had it in common. Um, it, it was a source of income for Paul. Uh, they, as, as would happen in, in that time, that he actually resided with them. They, they, they were small companies that moved about, and they would have people, some of their employees that would reside with them. But in, in, our, in our message two weeks ago, we put a little parenthesis and we took a few minutes out just to talk about Aquila and Priscilla. And there was, there was five points uh, that they were always together, indicating that there was a strong bond there. Uh, you never found the one mentioned without the other. Uh, they weren't off traveling in different directions. Uh, Priscilla was, was a notable woman. Uh, as, as we had Lydia in Philippi, so we had Priscilla here in Corinth. Uh, she, uh, four of the six times that their names are mentioned, her name is mentioned first, which for that culture is unusual. So it shows that she had a, had a prominent role in, in, the, in the business and or in the church uh, in, in uh, Corinth there as it grew. They, they were mobile and agile. They were willing to move because um, he'd grown up in Pontus, met Priscilla in, in Rome, they were kicked out. Claudius kicked every, all the Christians and, and Jews out of Rome, and uh, they ended up in Corinth. And as you'll find out as we go on, they're going to travel at the end of the, today's message with Paul to, to Ephesus, and then they're going to make their way back to Corinth uh, in, in the later dates towards the end of the book of Acts here. They, they had a Christ-centered passion in their ministry, and they were very hospitable. They always had their, wherever they were, they would always open their home uh, to the church. Uh, to, as, a, as a place of gathering and, and, and for, for people to love the Lord you, you, you want to share what God has given you 
And, and you want to, you know it's not yours because as God gives, he can take away just as fast. And so they wanted to use what he had given them in ministry to help the church to grow. And as we got into, uh, let's see, chapter 4, as we learn from Acts 17, 2, as was his habit, he reasoned with them in the, in the synagogue from the scriptures. He began doing that again in Corinth. And Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia. Remember, they'd stayed behind the different churches. They gathered funds, and they, they brought the funds. And when they arrived, uh, just appreciate what, they, what Paul was able to do because of what they did. They brought the gifts from the other churches, and that Paul could set the tent making aside for a time and devote himself fully to the work. He didn't have to worry about raising money for food or anything like that uh, because of the generosity of the churches from Macedonia. Uh, middle of verse 5, began devoting himself completely to the word. And, and this is what always gets Paul's in trouble, was that he was teaching the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. That always got Paul in trouble over and over again, and yet he did it over and over again because he knew it was the right thing to do. Verse 6, they resisted and blasphemed. He shook out his garments said, your blood's on your own heads. We're going to look in, in Matthew uh, chapter 27, and, and that'll kind of bring that back in, into play, but we're just going to breeze by that right now. He said from then on he'd go to the Gentiles, and, and yet as he goes on to Ephesus, you'll see he goes to the synagogue again. He continues to, to start with the Jews and taking the, the gospel message to them. He went to the, he departed when, when he's basically kicked out of the synagogue and they say, we don't want anything to do with you. He goes right next door to a Gentile, Titus. Uh, it's, it's interesting that his house is right next door to the synagogue. In the next verse, Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, believed in the Lord with all his household. Well, you know, if, 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 and we didn't talk about this two weeks ago, but if Crispus believed in Jesus Christ as the Messiah, guess what? He can't be the leader of the synagogue anymore. So they kicked him out. So who do they put in his place? Just, just take a sneak peek down to verse 17 real quick, and then we'll come back up. But just a real quick sneak peek. They replaced him with Sosthenes. Now quit reading the rest of verse 17, because then you're going to be thinking about that. Get back with me here. But Crispus is, becomes a believer that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. You're out of here, buddy. You can't lead the synagogue. So, Christmas is out. And, and after a year and a half, uh, verses 9, 10, 11 there, the, the Lord gave Paul a vision that says, guess what? I am with you. I am fighting the battles for you. The battle belongs to me. Let it rest with me. I've got your back. You're not going to have trouble while you're here in Corinth. And so Paul continues to preach. Now we get to verse 12. Uh, but while Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews with one accord rose up against Paul and brought him before the judgment seat. We're going to do a little parentheses, uh, like we did with Priscilla and Aquila. We're going to do a little parentheses with, with Gallio here. And, and you say, well, it doesn't really say a whole lot about him. It doesn't, but some of the history books tell us a little bit more about him. So we're going to look at him. Before we do that, he was proconsul of Achaia. 
And this is one of those things that that scholars say, well, well, Luke got it wrong. There's an error in the Bible. There's a mistake here because at this time it wasn't a proconsul uh, that, that was in this position. It was more of a legislative thing, and I'm splitting hairs there, but there is a difference, trust me. Um, and is, is more, uh, what do I want to say, writings and, and history has been un- unearthed and uncovered in, in Palestine there, or in, in uh, well, Greece and anywhere in that area, but the history books tell us that it was, in fact, a proconsul then. Luke did get it right, and I know we've, we've addressed this before in, in Acts, that uh, the, the scholars thought that it was, that Paul, or, or excuse me, that Luke got it wrong when he wrote it, and, and that's not the case. The, the scripture are, is correct, and they've, oh yeah, Luke was right, okay. Funny thing, funny thing when the inspired word of God um, is that Luke got it right. Anyhow, that's just, that's just a side, sorry. Doesn't really, it's not worth a whole lot other, I guess it is worth more than that. It, it's worth a lot to, to know that the, the history that was written into God's word is accurate. So that we, can, we know that the rest of God's word is accurate. Gallio. Gallio had a half-brother named Seneca. Seneca was a philosopher of the day. And they were half-brothers. They were, they were divided when they were very young and were each adopted by, by other families. Um, now I didn't know this. I, I can't act like I knew this before I was studying this week, because I didn't. I didn't know that Seneca was the tutor to Nero. Interesting. Interesting. But years later, when, when they were uh, adults, Seneca and Gallio met back together, and Gallio's full name was Aeneas Junius Gallio. Okay, Um, Seneca said about his brother, few men are so amiable about anything as my brother Gallio is about everything. Okay, get that again. Few men are so amiable about anything as my brother Gallio is about everything. He he meant that as a compliment, uh, but we'll see as it bore out in Gallio's life that that wasn't necessarily such a good thing to be Amiable about everything. Okay? Just, just keep, tuck that thought away. Keep, keep that thought handy. Um, Gallio was proconsul of Achaia. The Jews, with one accord, rose up against Paul and brought him before the judgment seat. I, I, I don't know if the Holy Spirit was, was telling Paul that this was the prompting, uh, that the, the time of the vision from the first ver, uh, verses 9 and 10, where God says, don't be afraid, go on speaking, don't be silent, I am with you. Not, not that God was going to leave Paul, but maybe Paul took this as the prompting, because at the end of this scenario today, he, he is on the road again. He's moving, okay? So not, not that he didn't think God would protect him, but that that year and a half that he spent in Corinth was, was a long stay for Paul anywhere. Uh, but, that, but that the Lord was moving again and, and had other plans for him. So he, he wasn't afraid to move either. They brought him before the judgment seat. Turn with me briefly to Matthew 27. And, and I'm probably going to read a few more verses than I need to, but I, I want you to see... And very familiar. Matthew twenty-seven, fifteen. 
Now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to release for the multitude any one prisoner when they wanted. And they were holding at that time a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. When therefore they were gathered together, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? For he knew that because of envy they had delivered him up. In other words, Jesus was getting the attention, drawing it away from the Jews, and they didn't like that. And while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent to him, saying, Have nothing to do with this righteous man, for last night I suffered greatly in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the multitudes to ask for Barabbas and to put Jesus to death. But the governor answered and said to them, Which of the two of you do you want me to release for you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, Then what shall I do with Jesus, who is called Christ? Again, Christ means to the Jew, Christ, the name Christ means Messiah, and to the Gentile, the name Christ means Savior. I know some of you have been listening because I just saw your mouths moving with me as I said that, so good on you. Appreciate that. The governor answered and said to them, okay, and they said, Barabbas, verse 22, Pilate said, okay, what shall I do with him, Christ? Uh, they all said, let him be crucified. And he said, why? What evil has he done? But they kept shouting all the more, saying, let him be crucified. When Pilate saw that he was accomplishing nothing, but rather that a riot was starting, he took water and washed his hands in front of the multitude, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to that yourselves. And all the people answered and said, his blood be on us and on our children. Did they know what they were saying? Did they know what they were saying? It's amazing what anger and being stirred up emotionally can make you say stupid stuff. But just, I wanted to read a little bit longer of that passage because you see the different elements. In, in verse 6 here, uh, you, had, you had Paul washing his hands just as Pilate did and said, your, your blood's on your own heads now, guys. And then in, in verse 12 with Gallio, uh, they brought him up before the judgment seat. Of, and, and governmentally, it was the same type of judgment seat that, that Jesus was brought before with Pilate. But here we have in, in Corinth, uh, the, the Jews bringing Paul to Gallio before the judgment seat. And the, the Jews were saying, this man persuades men to worship God contrary to the law. He's preaching that Jesus was the Messiah. And the whole law was, and, and all the prophecy was looking forward to the Messiah coming. They just didn't want to acknowledge that it was Christ and that he was actually the Messiah. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, now that's kind of unusual. Paul was usually the silent type, right? No, he was, he was ready to speak up for his faith. He'd been through this before. He knew what was coming. Galileo said to the Jews, okay, Galileo cuts him off. He doesn't give him a chance to, to speak his piece. Now, I don't know if, if at this point, or if Galileo knew that Paul was a Roman citizen, maybe if he knew that, maybe Galileo would have held back and let Paul say his piece. I don't know. But he says in verse 14, Gallio says, If there was a matter of wrong or vicious crime, O Jews, it would be reasonable for me to put up with you. 
But if there are questions about words and names in your own law, look after yourselves. I am one willing to be a judge of these matters. Here's the, the part of his, his amiable personality. He doesn't like confrontation, which, which is not a good thing for a pro-counsel. Not that you have to seek after the confrontation, but you should have at least been okay with engaging in it. But he's so amiable, he's so friendly, that he doesn't want to offend anybody. So he doesn't have a backbone on anything. You know, the old country song, if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. I'm not sure if I said that quite right, but you got the idea. You got to stand for something or you'll fall for anything. Galileo says, get out. Verse 16, he drove them away from the judgment seat. Get out. I'm not going to deal with this mess. Not my problem. Your problem. Get it out of here. Now, he, he drove the Jews away, but he also drove Paul away in the opportunity to hear what Paul had to say, the opportunity to hear that Jesus was the Messiah, Jesus was the Savior, and he came to die for Gallio. He, he missed that opportunity. He gave it up by forcing him out of his presence. Get out of here because he was so amiable and friendly that he didn't want to have that confrontation. So, verse 17. So they all took hold of Sosthenes, the leader of the synagogue, and began beating him in front of the judgment seat. And Galileo was not concerned about any of these things. He was very indifferent. Now, why did they beat Sosthenes? As many different commentaries as you can read, you'll get that many different views. Some, some believe that, that he was just a, a person of opportunity. He was in the way. There's thought that maybe Sosthenes was ready to turn to Christ as well. That Sosthenes was ready to acknowledge that Jesus was the Messiah. And, and after what they put up with Christmas and got rid of him, they, they just couldn't tolerate it. So they had to beat on Sosthenes because there was the second leader of the synagogue in a row that was going to believe in Jesus as the Messiah. Now, I, 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 don't, I don't like to talk about NFL and football teams from the pulpit, and, and I, I especially stay away from it at playoff and Super Bowl time. But... The, the, the thought came to my mind, and it's just so, it just seems to fit, for, at least from where I'm coming from. You know, you, you got the, the, the safeties and the linebackers, somebody's running out of bounds, and they're going to come up, and they want to nail this guy, and they just got their momentum. I mean, that's what they do for a living, right? They just pound that sucker, and, and they're, they're running full tilt, and the guy takes one step out of bounds. Well, I don't know if you're, but, but me, I'd still want to hit him. I mean, that's my whole goal for the last 30 yards is to nail this guy. I, I think maybe that's what happened to the Jews here. They, they couldn't practice self-control and back off and, and, and not hit the guy out of bounds. They, they were so upset. They were so angry. They were so mad that, that Gallio wasn't going to let them abuse Paul, one, either, either legally or physically, that they just wanted to hit somebody. They, and, and poor Sosthenes was a person of opportunity. And, and it says 
this, this, whole, this whole paragraph here in verse 12 talking about the Jews with one accord rose up against Paul. Some, some of the commentators say that they think it was a bunch of, of Gentiles that beat him up and that it was a, a racial anti-Semitic thing because he was a Jew. And I'm like, where, I, I'm not quite sure where they got that. And they're probably smarter than me, so they probably figured it out somewhere. I, I don't see it here because it's all Jews that, that are bringing Paul to, to Galio here. So I don't really buy that one, but I do, I do hold to the, to, the, you know, to the safety thing coming up wanting to hit somebody. That, and and maybe, maybe it was because Sosthenes was, was ready to accept Christ as the Messiah. Either way. Either way. Galileo says, eh, go ahead, whatever. I'm not, I'm not too concerned about it. I'm not going to worry about it. Now I've got to look at my notes and see everything that I've missed. Oh, in, in, in their charge when bringing Paul to Galileo, their charge was just kind of vague. They, they worshiped God contrary to the law. They didn't say what parts of the law were contrary, and they, they didn't make specific charges and that, and that seems to be the, the, the modus operandi today that, that lawyers or prosecutors, it, it, they'll, they'll try to catch somebody in a big net. And, and if they don't have anything that's, that's going to stick legally, they'll lie and they'll make stuff up. No, that wouldn't happen in our legal system. <laughs> but they were, they, were, they were just real vague. And, and it, it, it's just... Uh, I guess to me, it's just kind of frustrating. If you're going to accuse somebody, be specific and know that you have the facts. Don't, don't just throw a whole bunch of stuff out there and hope something will stick. Because that's, that's what happens too often. Get, get to the point, state your case, and, and make, it a, make it a strong point. In 1 Corinthians, we won't turn there but in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, verses 17 to 20, and 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, Paul says, I came to preach the word. The only reason I came to you is, is to preach the word. There was no ulterior motives. I didn't show up there to get rich. I came to preach the word. And, and so... When, when these guys bring him before the, the judgment seat and it's such a vague thing, it's like, it's frustrating. Sorry, I, I'm, I'm at a loss for words right now because it's just, it, um, there, there's, no, there's no real meat to what they're accusing him of. It's, it's just a general thing. We don't like this guy, so we want to hit somebody. So we're, we're going to try to hit Paul. He'd been there a whole year and a half. What changed? What changed all of a sudden? He'd been preaching, and it doesn't say exactly when Silas and Timothy in verse 5 came from Macedonia, but, but it seems like it was fairly close to the beginning of his ministry in Corinth. So, so he had many months that he, was, that he was proclaiming Jesus is the Messiah. What happened? Back to Gallio. 
Gallio missed his opportunity when, when he drove the Jews away from the judgment seat. He also drove Paul away. He missed his opportunity to hear the gospel, being utterly indifferent. And it's said in the history books that, that Gallio uh, committed suicide. He, he was so... Had no backbone, nothing to, nothing to stand on, nothing to, no foundation to plant his feet on. And, and he committed suicide as a result. Here, here, here you'd think is a guy that, that has everything going for him. He, he's the, he's the, the provincial governor, basically, of, of Greece. I mean, what's not to like about that climate, right? And, and, and obviously, with his brother Seneca being Nero's Tudor, they, they, they obviously had some family connections. Even though they were half-brothers, there, there was some political connections there. And, and for something, someone that seemingly has everything going for him, rejected his opportunity to hear the truth from Paul and, and commit suicide because there, there was aimlessness in his life. He, he was indifferent, but I'll tell you what, and, and you guys know how much I love Philippians too, that when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, when, G, when, when Gallio died and he encountered Jesus, do you think he was still indifferent then? I, 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 think, I think not. I think he wished he could have gone back and done a few things over. Verse 18. Paul, having remained many days longer, took leave of the brethren and put out to sea for Syria. And with him were Priscilla and Aquila. In Sincrea, he had his hair cut, for he was keeping a vow. And they came to Ephesus. He left them there. Now he himself entered the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. He's still going to the Jews first when he gets to a new place. When they asked him to stay for a longer time, he did not consent, but taking leave of them, he said, I will return again if God wills. And then he set sail for, from Ephesus. Verse 22, when he landed at Caesarea, he went up. It's understood to mean Jerusalem there. He went up to the, to the church in Jerusalem and greeted them. And then he went down to Antioch to report back to the sending church uh, that he first started his first missionary trip from. This concludes missionary trip number two. Next week begins missionary trip number three. Just a few things briefly, verses 18 to 22. Some of the commentators made a big deal about the, the, the Nazarite vow that he must have taken. We don't know when he took it. You could take a Nazarite vow for a day, a week, a month, a year, many years. Some believe that it might have even been a Nazarite vow that he took when he was still Saul before he came Paul. And, and that the time was finally up. And, and that even though he, he was a believer and, and wasn't under the pharisaical uh, umbrella that he was prior uh, to the, the trip on the road to Damascus, um, that, that perhaps, again, even, even before then, he had taken this vow. 
but to the, the, emphasis, the, the emphasis they, they show is that he didn't take, uh, normally when you would take your, get your hair cut after your vow was done, you would take some of that hair with you to Jerusalem and offer it on the altar there as, as a conclusion to your vow. Paul didn't do that, so they, they, or at least it's not recorded that he did, um, so that it wasn't that he was still living under the law or living under the, the uh, umbrella of the, the pharisaical uh, control over his life. So it's, there, there's just a few odd things that, that Luke brings up, and it's like, Luke, why'd you put that there? What was, you know, is that, is that really what, why? Obviously, because the Holy Spirit told him to. But um, he, he, if nothing else, uh, a, a spiritual uh, lesson that can be learned there is to be disciplined. That when you tell God that you're going to do something, you do it. Even if it's inconvenient, even if it's not easy, you keep your word to the Lord. They came to Ephesus. He leaves, he, he, as, as, when he leaves Ephesus, he, he leaves Priscilla and Aquila behind. Um, but he himself entered the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. Just, just as he, I mean, that's his habit. He goes to the Jews first. He wants them to understand that Jesus was the Messiah. And that, that's, that's, his, uh, that's his nationality. That's his people group. And he wants them to know the truth. George Sweeting in his, in his book uh, on Acts uh, tells the story of his wife's mother and father owning a, a bakery in Dillenburg, Germany. And then when they immigrated to the United States, where is it, Plain, Plainwell? I think it's Fairlawn. Fairlawn, New Jersey. They opened a bakery there because that was what they did. And of course... He said they, they saved on advertising. They didn't have to put ads in the newspaper or whatever. He said their, their form of advertising was they'd open the front door to the bakery and let the smell <laughs> go down the street. And his, his application or his lesson there was each one of our lives gives off an aroma. What aroma do you give off? Do you give off an aroma that attracts people or repels people? Do you give off an aroma of the love of Jesus? That's your homework this week. Figure out what your aroma is. I'm quite certain there are days that mine stinks. Of this I have no doubt. <laughs> but is your life aroma? What do you give off? Again, is it, is it something that anybody wants to be near? Or is it when, when people see you coming, they, they want to kind of, you know, make the end around. and They're, they're going to avoid that tackle on the sideline. They're just going to walk right out the tunnel of the stadium if they see you coming. We either tear down or we build up. Paul knew how to build up. Paul knew how to strengthen Christians. He knew how to preach the word. 
He knew how to be beaten, literally. And he knew how to stand up for the truth. He knew how to be an aroma that was a sweet-smelling Savior in his life to our Savior. Aquila and Priscilla were very, very much like Paul. They were very hospitable. Again, we mentioned earlier, when they had the opportunity, they would open their home to the church. What kind of aroma do you give off? Awkward. Think about that this week. Do people like being around you? Father, thank you for your word. I pray, Father, that in each one of our lives that you would be the aroma that that comes forth from us. That we would be so filled with Jesus, that we would be so filled with love for you and for those around us that the aroma that we give off is one of love, that is one of Christian faith, that is one of, of trust in Jesus. Father, thank you for the examples of Paul. And although Galileo's example certainly isn't one that we would want to follow, thank you for the lesson that we can learn from, from his life, too, of what not to do. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for his love for us. Thank you for his shed blood. We give this week to you, Father, and and pray that we would be an aroma that is pleasing to you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Give the ladies just a minute or two. I don't know how many minutes.